Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We are entering into a series, or we're in the middle of a series about what we've called supporting cast. And really what it is, it's about some of the overlooked people in the Bible, some of the secondary figures. We've talked about Barnabas, Ananias, Joseph of Arimathea, Habakkuk, uh, Abigail's coming down the pike here as one of our people. But few people know the names of some of these characters, but they're important characters because without some of these minor characters, the major characters wouldn't be what they are. And we know that success in the kingdom of God doesn't depend upon whether you're in the limelight, but it depends upon people, depends upon people that are serving sometimes obscure ways where we aren't, aren't aware. And I always use this to highlight, uh, we have a service here at 8.30 for people that are serving in kids' life. Right now, back in kids' life, there are people serving, and we don't, may not even know their names or who they are, but they're faithfully serving, teaching our young people. Uh, they're the behind-the-scenes, they're the supporting cast, so to speak. So today, we are going to dive into an Old Testament character, a character by the name of Achan. And I bet if I were to take a poll, most people would say, I'm not sure who this Achan guy is. Uh, as the bacon guys out there said, well, it rhymes with bacon, so it must be pretty good. I mean, those guys live and breathe bacon. Um, and Achan, we've talked about some very positive characters. Achan is a negative character. So we're going to see what we learned today from a negative character, a kind of an obscure guy from the Old Testament. He was a man who his personal sin brought calamity to the whole body of Christ. And, you know, we've used the phrase, there is sin in the camp. Uh, you may have heard that. Or if you're a Shakespeare aficionado and you know about Hamlet, okay, that's where Hamlet says, there is something rotten in Denmark. Um, and what that means basically is there's something that's wrong. We're not sure what it is, but it is affecting everything else. So today we're going to get some great lessons from the story of Achan about God, the kind of God. We're going to relate it to Jesus. And of course, we're going to get some personal lessons as we can. When, let me give you an alert right up front we're going to talk about later. There's a word propitiation, um, fancy theological word, but... It is a biblical word. It's not something that theologians invented. It's in the Bible. And what it means is that the wrath of God is satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. He was the propitiation. So hang on to that word. We're going to talk about it later. And it's one of those things where after today, if you're with your family on Father's Day and someone says, what was the message about? You can say propitiation. And they're going to say, wow, that's impressive. Uh, you really must know lots of stuff. Sounds like you do anyway. So we're going to talk about two, two subjects today that probably uh, would sound off, offhand to be kind of negative. We're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about the anger or wrath of God. Uh, we're going to talk about sin because sin has effects that are far-reaching. Now, I'm going to start out with a little story about me. Um, in 1972, uh, I was just finishing my freshman year at college, Everett Illinois Wesleyan, I was playing on a church softball team, slid into third base, and dislocated this shoulder. And if you've ever had a, a dislocated anything but a shoulder, very painful. And so I did what the doctors said, you'd immobilize it, etc. But it didn't 
it didn't take. And I finished my sophomore year of college, came home, and I needed to have it operated on. So I went to Sherman Hospital in Elgin, Illinois, to be operated on. And it was supposed to be, I think, one night in the hospital. And uh, then I was supposed to be out. So they went in and they cut me right here. Um, and the next day, I didn't respond very well. I started to get sick. I got nauseated. I developed a fever. I was lethargic. And one day turned into five days, turned into 14 days I was in the hospital. And by about the 11th or 12th day, uh, Barb and I were dating at the time, she'd come and see me and she'd walk me to the end of the hallway from here to that wall and I'd have to stop and rest for about 10 minutes before I could make my way back. Uh, something was rotten in Denmark. Something was wrong. Well, that night, the 13th night in the hospital, in the middle of the night, my incision up here blew wide open. This is pretty gross, okay? It blew wide open, and there was blood and pus everywhere. It was nasty. It was as gross as you can think. But I immediately felt better. Immediately felt better. How did the hospital didn't catch this? Who knows? Uh, you know a good malpractice lawyer back then. I probably would have got a hold of him. Um, so so as, as a result of that, once it blew open, I began to heal. And a day or two in the hospital, and I was out home and recovered since then. So, we're going to talk about this, what I call the pus story. It'll come up again. But essentially, here's the principle. Until a hidden infection is discovered, exposed, and dealt with, healing cannot take place. That's the story of Achan. That's the story of Achan. So let's get into the story of Achan. Hidden infection must be discovered, exposed, dealt with, then healing can take place. Achan. So the his historical background of Achan is this. You know, in the history of God's people, you remember they were slaves in Egypt. And then Moses comes, and Moses leads them out of Egypt. They're supposed to go to the Promised Land, which is across the Jordan River. But because of sin, they have to wander in the desert for 40 years. Well, Moses dies after 40 years, and Joshua takes over. And Joshua is, leads them, like D-Day, across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And they're going to begin the conquest of this land that God had promised to give them. And that's in Joshua chapter 6. So let me read here, um, starting in Joshua chapter 7, uh, or I guess Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. It'll be on the screen here. It says this. This is, this is the... The fall of Jericho, everybody kind of knows about this. The walls of Jericho fall down. But this is a story. It says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, we're going to come back to Rahab, only Rahab and the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Now, this is important here. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring them, bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and the iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in 
and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed the sword. Every, every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Now the part I highlighted there is what's called the ban, the forbidden things they were to take. They were to take no plunder, no booty. They were to take nothing like that. It's, it, it says in here, but keep away from the devoted things so that you'll not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction. So there's a strong warning there from God to Joshua and the people, don't take any plunder or you will suffer consequences. A clear command of God. So now in the story, enter our main character, Achan. Okay? In chapter 7, verse 1, the author gives us a little bit of advance explanation a spoiler alert as to what's going on. It says this, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zemri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So this is a fact that's not known to Joshua or the people at the time that Achan had taken this. Now two things to note... <clears throat> There's an evil sense of foreboding here, but two things to note. The anger or wrath of God. And this, this anger or wrath burned not just at Achan, but it, the scripture says it burned against the people of Israel, the whole people. Because of one man's sin, God's wrath or anger was against all of the people. Okay, keep on going here, but, the, but we don't have a slide for this. But what happens is that after they finish with Jericho, the walls fall down, no one is killed, they destroy the city, a great victory. Well, now they go to the next city that God had promised them this land. They go to Ai. And when they get to Ai, uh, they send out some spies, and the spies come back and say, this is a piece of cake. Jericho was a piece of cake. There's hardly any uh, opposition here. We don't need to send the whole army. Let's just send a few people in. Let's send about 3,000 people in, because uh, this is a no-brainer. They're overconfident. Jericho had been easy. God had told them they would have the promised land. And they had unhindered success to date. Sounds like it's going to be an easy victory. But surprise, things turn south. And they have defeat. So reading here, it says this. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the heart of the people melted in fear and became like water. So they're, they're like, what in the world happened? And when we talk about that defeat, 36 people, 36 widows, 36 people died because of this overestimation. So Israel's army was this conquering force. Now they are cowering in retreat. And the promise of God that they would inherit this promised land seems to be called into question. There is a problem here. Something is wrong. So the leader reacts. Here's what Joshua then. Joshua's the leader. It says this in verse 6. Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, he's talking to God now, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us 
into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by the enemies? The Canaanites and all the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? So this is a remarkable prayer by Joshua to God, kind of pouring his heart out of, why did you bring us here? This, this, I don't understand what's going on. And his concern, his concern was for first for his name. What about my name? But then it is, God, what about your name? People are going to start doubting that you really are God. Now, God hears his prayer, and we see a little anger, a flash of anger from God. We see his wrath. We, God is ticked at Joshua. So here's what it says in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up! Exclamation mark. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now there's God. He's serious now. God's basically saying, Joshua, get up. Be a man. Stand up. Don't just sit there. Do something. Deal with it now. So then God gives specific instructions here, starting in verse 13. Interesting instructions. He says this. Go consecrate the people. Tell them. Consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, this is God. It's an elaborate selection process, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family. It's, it's, but it, there's a clear command of God, don't take any of the goods from Joshua, from uh, Jericho. So kind of the lesson from this is sin in the camp. That what God's saying is there's sin in the camp. You've got to deal with it, Joshua. Sin in the camp must be quickly confronted and dealt with. Don't be timid around clear sin. Deal with it swiftly. You know, we don't like to hear these words a little bit because this is angry God. We like loving, happy, generous God. And it's not too often you're going to hear a message about when God is angry because sin angers God. We need to know that. So here's what's happened next. Achan is exposed. It says, early in the morning, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes. And Judah, the tribe of Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward and the Zerahites were chosen. The clan of Zerahites came forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Now, 
if, you, if, Achan, if you were there, Achan's starting to sweat bullets at this point, okay? Um, then Joshua had his family come forward, man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. So the noose tightens around Achan, and he's standing there all by himself. So, interesting, it's an interesting procedure. Why did they go through such an elaborate search? They, tribe by tribe, clan by clan. Where they, and here's what I think about God. I think God is giving a chance for Achan to come forward. He's a long-suffering God. He wants people to come to repentance. He wants Achan to come to repentance. He gave many an opportunity for Achan to come forward. Could it be that he was giving an opportunity for Achan to come forward, confess, and seek and receive mercy? I don't know. Speculation. So then Joshua confronts our man Achan. He says this. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the, God, to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor me. Honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Here's what Achan says. <clears throat> Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw the plunder... When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So you notice the progression here, okay? He saw them. Now, he, he did more than just see them because he knows it's a beautiful robe from Babylonia, okay? He could see the tag on the back that said, Made in Babylonia. And apparently, Babylonian garments were very valuable, so he, he spent some time feeling the texture out, looking at it, holding it up, maybe trying it on. He knew he had a beautiful, expensive, valuable robe. He knew the precise amount of money, 200 shekels, okay? He just didn't throw the money in there. He counted it one by one by one. It's the power of lust and greed. It's like Scrooge counting his money over and over again. He lingers on it. He lusts after it. He dwells on it. He obsesses with it. Because he says, I co he coveted it. So it, he saw it. The scripture says he saw it. He weighed it. He coveted them. And he took them. And we know then he hid them in his tent. You know, <clears throat> interesting, it's the same progression we have back in Genesis. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned. Here's what Genesis 3, 6. Notice the parallels. So when the woman saw that the tree was good and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So there is the progression, the downward progression, the downward spiral of sin that Achan was involved in. It's very, it's right out of the textbook of Adam and Eve. And if you were to also examine perhaps David and Bathsheba, the progression of sin, David, he's on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba. He covets Bathsheba. He takes Bathsheba. And then he hides his sin, tries to hide his sin from God. It's the same progression. Same progression that we do when we're involved in sin. Anyway, back to our story here. 
So they, after Achan confesses, they need to corroborate this. So in verse 22, it says this. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. <clears throat> they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. You know, it's interesting that uh, the stuff that Joshua, or that Achan took, was of no value to him. He, he couldn't get rid of that Babylonian garment because everyone knew where, knew where it came from. It would be like if someone stole the Mona Lisa. And I got the Mona Lisa. What do you do with it? You can't display it in your house because then you'll get arrested because you, you stole it. You can't go to a pawn shop and sell it. It's of no value. Just like the stuff that Achan had. It was of no value to him. That's, that's sin sometimes is that way. It's of no value. It doesn't help us. It only hurts us. But he took this stuff. <clears throat> so then we have, after he's confronted, they bring the, the stuff back. It says this, Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring, bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Here's a critical part of it. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. He turned and was deflected from his anger. Therefore that place that has been called the Valley of Acre ever since. God's anger was satisfied. It was propitiated because of justice was being done when Achan and his family were killed. Now, this can be a troublesome passage. There's no doubt about that, okay? The wrath of God. We can understand maybe Achan, okay? But what about his family and his animals and his children? This, what kind of God is this? About the harsh and severe consequences to Achan and his family. Just hold that for a minute because we're going to come back to that. So kind of the epilogue here quickly is now Achan is put to death. They go back into battle and they have an overwhelming victory over Ai. Now that sin has been dealt with and removed, the healing can begin. Until a hidden infection of sin is exposed and brought into the light and dealt with completely, the body will be able to move forward. <clears throat> so, some of the themes. I got two themes that are rarely preached on. Sin and the wrath of God. It's a famous, if you, if you know history a little bit, Jonathan Edwards is a great preacher. His number one sermon that he was known for is a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, that was a famous, we don't hear it much. Um, matter of fact, a funny story, Calvin Coolidge, who was president in the last century, he was known as Silent Cal, because Silent Cal didn't say a lot, of, didn't say a lot. man a few words. <clears throat> and uh, Calvin Coolidge went to church one day, and he, the preacher gave an hour and a half sermon on sin. And when he was leaving, someone came up and asked him, what, what did the preacher preach on today for an hour and a half? And he said, sin. 
And then they said, well, what did he say about sin in an hour and a half? He was against it. And that was it. <laughs> Silent cow. Um, but sin is something that is crucial. We see in, this, in our story today, sin is offensive to God. And God wants sin to be dealt with swiftly. Now, there's good news coming, okay? Um, but sin is violating the commands of God. We know that. God takes sin very seriously. We see it in this passage. He's angry. There are consequences. We like the softer part of God, about loving God, forgiving God, merciful God. And God is all those things. But there is a time that we need to focus on God as a God of justice. And God is a God that cannot countenance and tolerate and be in the presence of sin. He's a holy God. But sin also, to some degree, always affects others. Achan's family, there we go, was clearly affected by Achan's sin. There are no private sins. We sometimes think sin is what goes on in my brain or there's a victimless sin. There is no victimless sin. What happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas alone. So, back to the problem of Achan's entire family being destroyed. You know, we didn't get into it here, but we referred to Rahab. If you remember, Rahab was the prostitute who, put a, who let the spies down and saved the lives of the spies. And because of Rahab's obedience and faithfulness to God, she and her family were saved. Because of Achan's disobedience, he and his family suffered the wrath of God. Now, our culture, we live in the Western world. Our culture is very individualistic. Everyone stands or falls on their own merits. The culture of the Bible, as we read, especially in the Old Testament, is, is it is looked at as the people of Israel. Families were very important. You notice it said earlier, when Achan sinned, God's anger burned against the people of Israel. They're groups. So, under the Old Covenant, males stood at the head of their families. Their blessings and cursings for a family, for the whole family, came through the obedience or disobedience of the leader of the family. So as an aside, today for Father's Day, okay? Father's Day, men, is your sin affects your family. That's the bad news. But the good news is your godliness affects your family. Your godliness affects your family. And I think we as men are called to be men of God. We are called to be spiritual leaders in our family. That is our role. And our family follows and is blessed by us being men of God. So back to the overarching ideas here about God takes sin seriously and there are consequences to sin. So hidden sin when uncovered, must be dealt with swift, decisively, and thoroughly. That's the pus story, okay? There's infection, something is rotten, deal with it. Don't be timid about that. And we need to be people that we deal with our own sin the same way. You know, Jesus, in the New Testament, Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body 
than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus didn't mean that literally, but he meant it, deal with sin severely, quickly, and ruthlessly. So there may be something in our lives, in your lives, that we need to deal with. If there's sin in your life that you know what something's going on that is not a, a pleasing to God, deal with it decisively. Maybe there's some people need to get rid of their computer, take it out back and smash it. Maybe you need to turn off your TV. Maybe you need to terminate some inappropriate relationships. Whatever it is, sin is serious to God. He takes it serious. Achan is living proof. Only when sin is uncovered and dealt with can healing begin. So, where in your life might there be a secret pocket, a secret area of sin that needs to be dealt with? We think it's secret, but we know it's not. You know, and God knows. It's not a secret. And it has effects beyond our life. It affects our family. It affects ministry. It affects your influence on other people. Now let's talk about the anger or the wrath of God. It's unpleasant to talk about, but God is a holy God. God is a God of justice. He, he personally is opposed to evil. He has righteous hostility toward evil. Now this is not an Old Testament concept, okay? Some people think that's the God of the Old Testament. Listen to this in John in the New Testament, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is a reality. But the good news is this, we, unlike Achan, unlike Achan, we can be saved from the wrath of God if we put our trust in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus will rescue us from the coming wrath. So the, back to our word propitiation, that Jesus' death on the cross that we celebrate. When you look at the Old Testament and the story of Achan, it's neat to find Jesus and the gospel in a story like that. It's there. Because, because of sin in our lives, we are alienated from God. There's a huge chasm between us and God for a person that is outside Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We are separated from God by nature. He's a holy God and we are sinful people. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short. And our efforts to reach God are futile because He's holy. We cannot, we can try, do all things. We can try to go to church. We can try to live a good life. We can do all kinds of good things, but it's futile. It will not reach a holy God. That's the bad news. That's the problem. The good news is this. Jesus bridges the gap the chasm, by dying in our place and paying the price for our sin. He satisfies that wrath of God that Achan suffered. Jesus satisfies it for us. When he became sin 
and God turned his back on him on the cross because God cannot countenance sin. Jesus took our sin, and because of him taking our sin, we can know God and have a relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the only provision for our sin and to escape the wrath of God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. It's a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, satisfaction, by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus has paid the price. He has satisfied the wrath of God, so we don't have to satisfy the wrath of God. But, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says about that. It's just not enough to know the theology behind that. Each of us must individually put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive Him as our Savior. That's how we appropriate the propitiation that God has promised. That we won't have to suffer the wrath of God. I did that in the spring of 1972 when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I no longer have to worry about the wrath of God because Jesus paid the price on the cross for me. He took the wrath that I don't have to take. That Achan had to take. So like I did, I would invite anyone here who has not given their life to Jesus you can escape the wrath of God by inviting Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. You can do that today. And if you want to do that, talk to somebody. Talk to me. That will spare you the wrath of God, the very wrath that Achan and his family suffered.